it's almost like MedSync's pretty much the pharmacy answer for everything. And so when you think about someone that's transitioning from the hospital, I mean, um, I, I can think of multiple stories where you have, you know, old older patients that come in with a, you know, a thick stack of papers of discharge paperwork that's like hospital guidelines mixed in with, you know, counseling points and their meds and all this stuff, and they just don't really know what to do. You know, they have Dr. Smith that's been taking care of their medication regimen for 30 years, and then some hotshot hospitalist comes in and says, "I'm switching this all up, and good luck." You know, so a part of it is medicine because basically. We, um, it's a med rec, right? Every single month you're reconciling their medications. And um, what's really cool about that is being proactive. And so a lot of medicine is reactive, right? You go to the hospital when something already bad has happened. You don't go to a wellness visit. You go when you've you know broken your toe. You go when you're feeling really crummy and then you realize that you have you know diabetes or you're having to pee a lot and stuff. And so what could you do that's proactive? And that's why I really like MedSync is that like, why in the world would pharmacies wait around for a patient to call and give us business, right? What if we could be proactive and be like, hey, I know you have 10 prescriptions. Like, instead of being you know, annoying like a chain saying, I'm just going to autofill it, it really is like, hey, right. you have a week of meds left. Has anything changed? How are you doing? What's different? Oh, yeah, last week um, I got a new prescription. Don't worry, I short filled it and lined it up. And so that's a big part of it. And so when I think of transitions of care, we're still early on that now because the reimbursement for it hasn't really been lined up. And, you know, I've talked a lot about like cost sharing and stuff. I just don't really think cost sharing works or is really um, that like effective. And I know, you know, Amina does a lot of things with, you know, working with other providers. I just think at some point we're going to need to get reimbursed directly for what we're doing because, you know, most of the hospitalizations or readmissions of the hospitalizations are because of medication errors. And so again, have the medication expert look at things, what's going on, where's the duplication, follow up with them, have them come in for a blood pressure, you know, monitoring thing. So when we did our, um, our uh, like grant funded uh, research project with UT and Terrytown to look at transitions of care, it really was something that we're really poised well to do. You know, I had my pharmacy technician do the med rec, right? If they were one of our patients, great. He's updating their medication re or their, his, their med sync. He's making notes. We're able to follow up with them. Uh, now with the ability to build these um, uh, care goal triggers, that's kind of what we're doing now. It's like, hey, this was a new medication added on. In five to seven days, it'll flag and go to a queue where now my pharmacist during their clinical time will go through and like follow up with them. They'll document. And so that's all the stuff that I think is the future. But again, until we get reimbursement, there won't be really wide um, adoption of that. So now we're in this weird piece with working with CPSN to kind of show our value. But part of it is just having to do it. But I think the way that it works right now in indirect reimbursement would be MedSync. So have yeah. a patient come out of hospital. Hey, you know what? We have a med rec or, or transitions of care um, service. And what that is, is as soon as you get discharged, you know, my technician, Mike's going to call you, figure out your drug regimen, get it all lined up, send that list to your primary care physician. And we're going to call you in seven days to follow up with how you're doing because the the hospitalist started you on a new med. So I think that's probably the best way to indirectly get paid for our services of making sure that, you know, these refills are happening, but also we're being more efficient with our time, like you mentioned as well. So I think that's kind of where we're at now of how people could almost justify the cost where it's like, it is saving us time. It's providing a service for your patients and it really is providing better patient care. And then eventually, like you mentioned too, if we can keep showing that we're helping folks stay out of the hospital, even though we're not the ones billing for it, then we'll 
be able to be incentivized, hopefully, to prevent those high dollar readmissions. And so that's kind of the process now of like using your existing system or using transitions of care to get into MedSync, you know? Um, and I think that's a really, really great opportunity to have that talking point with your patient. The nature and culture of pharmacy as our upbringing and our professionals were, were our own worst enemy when it comes to how do we communicate our value to consumers in the marketplace. And I think it relates to how, and I'm pro, like there's great PAs out there, there's great MPs out there. I, as an, a trained health economist, I'm all for people leveling up. It just makes sense to do it that way, just from a systems perspective. But if you look at folks that are in sort of these other areas, like so, yep, pharmacists, PAs, MPs, other types of professionals and paraprofessionals. And when you look at services that get covered, when they win policy battles or when they get credentialed or when they get services, what I keep trying to, to convey to a lot of the folks in, in my network is, in pharmacy, our natural inclination and primary care suffered from this. Family medicine very much suffered from this. Our natural inclination is to say, we're good at taking care of people. We can keep them healthy over the long run, and we can prevent downstream hospitalizations and whatever else. We bring lots of health and economic value to the system, okay? Yep. Patient-centered medical home was primary care 1967. Nothing really actually changed until the money conversation changed with the Affordable Care Act and some of the antecedents of it, right? Yep. They made the same mistake we're making in pharmacy. Pharmacy's making the same mistake PCPs have been doing for a long time, which is the logical, sane value proposition if you're talking to a centralized system like the UK or Canada or whatever else, right? We have a different type of a system. It's a, it is a marketplace of ideas, good or bad. Some of those are good ideas. Some of them are bad, but it gets... The, the, there's a sort of a quasi-marketplace policy battle with agency cost in the U.S. And you don't win that battle by saying, hey, over the course of 10 or 20 or 50 years, look at how much value I can bring to the system. That doesn't lead to a CPT code that pays 120 bucks for a 99 whatever. Right. Because we're on annual budgets, annual legislative cycles, right? We don't have this like long-term national strategy that you can actually reinforce on long-term time horizon value. We have fistfights every you know, annum, right? And so to me, what I've seen in the marketplace, and I think we need to apply in pharmacy is not, hey, there's a study that says we save dollars two to one over five years. We've done a gazillion of those. Primary care's done a gazillion of those. The way you win the battle is you say, by not letting me do this, people are getting harmed. That's how things get covered. I want access to that Alzheimer's drug. My grandma's getting harmed. My mom's getting harmed right. by you limiting access to it. Not here's this great ROI analysis that yada, yada, yada. Those are AMCP dossiers that go out to every country in the world except the U.S. There's a reason AMCP dossiers, they go to P&T committees. But at the end of the day, this battle's won on people not having access and they feel like they are being harmed or there's risk to them by not getting access to a service. And I see that in Medicaid in a lot of spaces, trust me. 
right, where there's all sorts of services that are available that they try to turn them off and advocates say, you're, you're harming my disabled child or you're harming this or you're harming, you're causing risk to people. Those are newspaper articles. Those are successful campaigns. And the, and the crazy part about it, uh, uh, um, gentlemen, is pharmacy, along with primary care, are probably the two principal providers and conveyors of safety. If you had to pick two providers in your life or for your mother and father, right, or your son or your daughter that you want to make sure have their crap together for your safety, it's those two. But yet, we both do a really bad job of saying, if you don't have good access to primary care services and you don't have access to pharmacy and pharmacy services where we can actually organize stuff, here's all the bad things that happen to you. Hmm. We've got to do a better job of that. It's the chemistry, not the calories that count. Interesting. What do you mean by that? So one 32-ounce soda is 750 calories. Do you know how much broccoli that is? I'm going to go with like five pounds. I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> You're probably really close. It's like 24 cups of broccoli. Okay. So, oh, wow. And the thing about plants is, you know, we think it's calories. So we've had this real reductionist thinking around uh, this is the recipe, right? And to be honest, every person is biochemically unique. So really, there is no one diet. Because your genetics and how you process things is you're the only you. So what I actually do is coach people in understanding them mm. and figuring out in our process what is the best approach for them. Because uh, if you had somebody who was of Indian, you know, Eskimo Indian descent, their body's going to process what they put in their body very differently than somebody who's possibly Indian because of the environment and because of the genetic adaptation. So. Uh, there is no one, but the biggest lie is that it's all about the calories because trust me, if you just had calories from soda, you'd be one sick person. What, what I kind of developed and what I've been teaching pharmacists to, to think about is we've been trained in pharmacology. Pharmacology, we're the experts. Yep. Bar none, nobody gets trained in that kind of biochemistry in medicine any better than the pharmacist, Right. But then you've got what I started looking at was the food pharmacology, the science of the chemistry in the food. But let me tell you, those two are easy compared to the last one, which is stress pharmacology. That one's very tricky and very difficult. And so if you guys all gained weight this last year, let me tell you, I can tell you why, because it's been one of the most unbelievably stressful years that I think humans have endured uh, in the last two century. Well, at least century. Um, it's been, it's been a big year. Uh, TikTok, TikTok's a beast. You have to, you have to post daily on, on TikTok. It's a beast. You okay. have to TikTok to stay anywhere. And the algorithm just changed. And so every time the algorithm changes, it takes me about two, three weeks to really get a feel of how it changes. They look for certain things in the posts. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you can figure it out by what hits and what doesn't. Um, Interesting. Instagram's been a little bit more very, very consistent. And to be honest, the Instagram crowd is where I get more interaction. I probably spend an hour a day just messaging back and forth. Right now, I think I have over 4,000 messages I haven't got to on oh, Instagram. Wow. wow. 
Well, and Instagram so, just added the algorithm kind of similar to Google where you can start doing keyword targeting. And you get a lot of that. So then mm -hmm. when somebody does come in, they'll say, I just spent an hour and a half watching every one of your posts. Oh, wow. So um, I have, I actually have um, a infomercial that was been offered to me to go do an infomercial just recently. So they had me send in an audition tape for the infomercial. I just, I like being a pharmacist. So my hope is, is that I can augment my income from this enough that I can hire and pay my employees better so I can do what I want to do for another 20 years the way I want to do it instead mm -hmm. of working. I think I've had four days off since July and I'm sure there's a lot of people that can understand oh, yeah. that. Like it's just the margins are so tight. I would like to find a way to increase the type of product that I want to sell with the margin that I want to by using social media to bring people aware that we can do supplements, that we can do things that I don't, you know, you sell a furosemide and you get 98 cents. You're never going to be able to keep your doors open on that. But if mm -hmm. I can have them come and say, wait, Phil was talking about a supplement and they can come in and I can sell the supplement the way that GNC is. Well, now I can choose the audience that's coming in. Right. And 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 now I'm marketing to a, an audience I wasn't marketing before. And all I had to do was just hold it up for a second while I had slime flowing down. And then I sell 17 bottles the next day. How is uh, how do you feel about probiotics? It's still, I think that probiotics have a place in therapy for sure. Yeah. Like they really do. And the range and price make people confused because you can get the acidophilus for $3. And then there's some of them that are $200. And I like, I like the idea that you can go out there and say probiotics, what are you treating it for? And then when somebody comes in and says, Hey, you were talking about slow gastric emptying and you talked about one that had enzymes and probiotics. Now all of a sudden they're looking for the product that I had because they saw it instead mm -hmm. of wandering around a health food store. Right. So that's, you're, you're talking my language there because yeah, I'll get their amoxicillin and make 37 cents. But while they're in there, they're like, I saw you do this one and I can sell them at a lower price than the health food store, something that works just as good and make $8 off of that. So now I don't lose money by putting a label on their amoxicillin. My pharmacy origin story is so similar to so many other people that I meet, particularly in the independent pharmacy world. Um, I don't have any family in pharmacy, nobody in healthcare. My parents both own small businesses and, um, you know, and so, but my summer after my freshman year of college, my mom was like, you can't sit around all day. You have to get a job. And so <laughs> nice. she, she was like, you know, um, Elaine from the church, from church, her husband just opened a pharmacy and, and they need a clerk. And so I started working in a pharmacy. It's called community pharmacy. They're a pioneer store, um, in, in. Um, uh, in Moorhead City, North Carolina. So Michael Wright and Mark LaRoque are the owners there. And um, I worked for them for 10 years before I finished pharmacy school. So I worked off and on as a technician and then um, as an intern. And I got to work one day as a pharmacist before I went on to residency. And so I really had every job in that place. Um, and they instilled so much in me about caring for your patients and really treating people um, as if they were a member of your family. And and I I value that so much because it really drove my passion for caring for people and for community pharmacy. And I went on to do residency and, and I, a lot of my life, I feel like has just been sort of uh, chances that I said yes to uh, that, you know, it wasn't that I had this really like goal sheet of what I was going to achieve. It was just kind of like, Oh, that sounds like a great opportunity. Yes, let's, let's do it. And so I did, I did a community residency with UNC and um, my, my program director was like, Hey, I'm a faculty member and, and you have a lot of similar personality traits to me, maybe you should be a faculty member too. And I was just like, okay, sure. <laughs> and so I, um, 
I started looking at faculty jobs during my residency and I heard about this position here at Ole Miss. Um, I had uh, interviewed at, at PPS at ASHP and at, had interviewed like a little short 30 minute interview and, and loved the people that I met there and they were so great. And then um, about a month after that, I had not put in my application yet, but I was at a CPESN early, early meeting in North Carolina and I met Bob Lominick, who I now work with, who mm-hmm. I, is my, the owner of my practice site. And I met him and didn't know him. And he was like, wait, aren't, aren't you um, coming down to interview for a position in, in Mississippi? And I was like, actually, yeah, I, I am. <laughs> and, and I was like, that, to me, I was like, that's fate, right? Like, how did yeah. I just meet this man randomly in North Carolina? Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I got to be here. I I, um, in my job, I practice two days a week at, at an independent community pharmacy, um, Tyson Drug Company in Holly Springs, Mississippi. And then I um, am our coordinator of skills-based development. So I do a lot in skills lab with our students in simulation. I am the network facilitator for CPES in Mississippi and, mm-hmm. and really involved and engaged in CPESN. And I was, even as a student, I got to work in CPESN stores before they were even called CPESN when it was still just the community care North Carolina project. So, um, and I, I love getting to show students that there's, there's better to community pharmacy than maybe what they see or have heard from other people. And so that's kind of my main driver of, of my passion and excitement. I, I teach an elective called beyond dispensing. That's all about, um, that. So lots of different things. I wear a lot of hats and I think all faculty members, we wear a lot of hats, but I, um, I love it. I, I just, I, you know, I think it's so awesome to, to get to be in this opportunity to impact students and to really hopefully change the, the future and the outlook of pharmacy for them. So. so I had that one patient, right? And then I started like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to change myself, uh, make myself feel healthier and stuff. And so I did. Well, then I had this one patient, uh, really good. He's become a really good friend of mine now. Uh, and he looked at me and he goes, hey, you got the gastric bypass, right? I'm like, no, I didn't. He's like, well, what did you do? And I was like, I just started eating right. I started doing all these different things. I found out what my body needs. And he's just like, could you help me? And I was like, well, you're a diabetic. You have all these other issues. He had already lost vision in an eye. I'm like, man, you know what? It's, it's risky. Um, I go, but definitely something we can look at. And so here he was, um, I think he was weighing about 260, 270 pounds. Also, uh, he was injecting 230 units of insulin a day. Uh, he was on like, I think it was 10 different medications. Wow. And so I'm just like, man, you know what? So we got to do this thing slowly and just watch everything. So I got the whole history of what had happened. And he said he was camping and ended up like he blacked out, ended up in the hospital. The doctor's like, well, you're gonna have to be on insulin the rest of your life. So he had been on insulin for 15 years. Oh, wow. A1C was still a nine on insulin, right? So I'm like, okay, well, Let's look at, you know, as a functional medicine, let's find out the root cause. Let's fix everything. Let's fix your gut. Let's fix what you're eating. Uh, let's clean out your livers, get all that junk out of there. And we'll start making changes to meds. So I contacted his doctor, told his doctor, hey, look, I've, I met with him. These are all the things that I'm thinking we should do. Are you okay if we proceed? And the doctor's like, sure. He goes, are you going to be monitoring them? I was like, yes. You know, well, any kind of blood pressure or uh, blood sugar changes and stuff like that, I'll get back with you. That way we can make changes very quickly. And the doctor was like, I'm all for it. Let's go. You know, he needs, he'd been wanting to make the change. If you can get him to go, it makes my numbers look good. Let's start working together. Like, okay, perfectly fine. 
So, you know, we did a liver detox from um, orthomolecular. It's called a core restore kit. I do that almost with all my patients that want to lose weight. Cleans out your liver, cleans out your GI system. Most of the, 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 the issues that we, that we see with patients start in the gut. So we're able to clean all that out. So I started this with him. And within three days, he was off his rapid acting incident because he was starting to bottom out his sugars. Oh, wow. And I was like, hey, doc, you know, this is going on. I told him to stop. And the doc's like, that's fine. Just keep monitoring. And I go, and then I, I go, we need to cut his basal insulin, which is long acting. We need to cut it down to, you know, I think he was on 80 units twice a day. And we dropped that down to 30 units once a day. And the doctor's like, sure, go ahead. Just keep monitoring. If it starts going up, we'll start going, making changes. So that's what we did. Uh, two months into it, or a month later, I think he already lost like, 26 pounds. So he beat me my first month. I lost 25 pounds. He lost 26. And so it was always a competition with him now. Right. Um, and within two months he was on no more insulin. So yeah, which was crazy. And he went back to the doctor and got his A1C checked and they're like, dang, A1C is a 5.7, no insulin. Uh, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm just eating right. Michael's teaching me how to eat, what I need to do, what my body's looking for, right? Um, but a lot of it is you have to be able to measure these things. So now we have the Freestyle Libra that's out there that's a continuous glucose monitor, which, you know, when we started this with him uh, in 2000, it was also 2016. I mean, it would have been amazing, uh, but we would just have to do the finger sticks. And so we're checking like three or four times in a day and get everything going. Um and so when I knew that it would work with him, I knew it could work with others. But some of the foods that we were trying to give him, I was like, okay, well, you're going to find this food at HEB. You're going to find this one over at Walmart. You're going to find this one at Sprouts. You're going to find this at Amazon. You're going to find this one directly from, from the company. They won't sell it to anybody else. And so I was sending people to all these places, right? And so I was like, man, you know what? I could probably make my own store with all these products inside there and they can just buy them from me instead of me sending them all over the place. Some of the biggest opportunities we've had with patients that haven't been exposed to that idea of, um, you know, I don't have to stay this way forever. Um, I can be an advocate for my own health is, um, you know, the nutrient depletion piece. A lot of, um, you know, diabetic blood pressure medications, um, you know, NSAIDs, even like something simple as birth control pills, like take nutrients out of your body. And um, it's a really easy conversation to have. And we've tried to make some uh, various cheat sheets um, as bag stuffers or for the pharmacists on duty to have, because it can, it can get to be a lot in your head jumbled, wait a minute, is this one deplete this or is it this one? So we have some um, cheat sheets, but we like tell somebody, are, like, are you starting to have muscle weakness? Um, statins is a great one. You know, it's known to deplete your body of CoQ10. And um, we really try to talk with our patients on statins first about, you know, how long have you been on it? What are you, are, are you doing anything lifestyle diet? wise to perhaps reduce your dose or get off of it. Then we also talk about, um, you know, products like bergamot that have been studied to 
work on the same pathway as a statin, but they don't have the same, you know, depletion. So we would never tell somebody, hey, stop your drug and take this. But we just try to plant the plant the seed, give them information on some different options, whether it be lifestyle or supplement. And a lot of times we find, I mean, Colorado is a, a very healthy state. Um, and so people are generally receptive to the information um, that there are other options. And I think that, um, you know, doctors are put under some of the same pressure that large big box pharmacies are where they have metrics to meet and everything is limited in time and they only have so much time to engage with a patient that some of these longer conversations get left out. And, you know, it's been shown that patients see their pharmacist more than they see their doctor. So again, something might not happen the first conversation. It may be the next time, or maybe they'll pick up the phone. Um, we've had a lot of success um, with diabetes self-management patients were, you know, accredited to do DSME. And we were, we were on a good, um, upward trajectory and then COVID kind of hit and it's been challenging um, to have people in person and there was all the back and forth over telehealth. So we're trying to revamp that, but those were a really um, receptive patient population because they often have comorbidities other than diabetes. They don't like taking a lot of the diabetic medications um, because of side effects. So having these DSME classes that we do get paid for our time for, um, if they're Medicare, and we're fortunate that in our demographic, people will just pay cash for our classes. Um, we're able to offer them various supplements, um, and we have an A1C machine. So when they come in, we can track their progress by following our recommendations with diet supplements, um, things like that. You know, so we had a patient that had, I mean, you would look at him and think he was healthy, you know, and he was not severely overweight or anything, but he, he was a type two diabetic, super out of control with his sugars. And, um, you know, we just said, look, give this ketogenic diet 30 days and let's check your A1C. We've got to get some control here. And we talked to him about how to do that, how to do it safely, how to watch his blood sugars. And sure enough, he was like, his mind was blown by the results. Like he had spent all of this time struggling to get his blood sugars. And they kept adding another pill and an injection of this. And now he's backing off his doses, right? His doctors are able to decrease his meds. And so that's, um, I think DSME is a great opportunity um, for almost any independent pharmacy to get involved in because there is the opportunity to get paid for it. If you do group classes and you're not set up with a medical plan, if you do enough people at once, the, you can do the cost low enough that almost anybody can afford to come to the class, but at least you're getting paid for your time and, you know, the value that you're providing to these patients. So it's a great revenue source. Um, and of course, we're still challenged with COVID in person, group size, but I think we're at the point that we can work around most restrictions and start bringing that back in. So I've experienced exponential growth since I pulled myself off of the bench. There's, there's no denying it. Um, we were fortunate. We, we bought clinic 
pharmacy in January, I ended up buying another pharmacy, St. Paul's Drug, in September of the same year. Uh, they were the one that I could throw a rock and hit at Brisson. And um, was really, really fortunate enough to have the pharmacist, the owner, join the store along with um, a couple staff members. Great transition, very smooth. Everything worked out beautifully. And when she came on, it meant that I now had another pharmacist that understood retail space and, and, and could help me. And so it helped me to kind of take a step back. And I recognized immediately how much more opportunities that I could find and take advantage of once I wasn't tied to my bench. Uh, for instance, I have a pharmacist now that uh, is on maternity leave. And it, I've been on the bench since the beginning of October. And the techs probably hate me. I mean, I love them to death, but, you know, I'm the pharmacist that's got the stack of baskets that covers the entire <laughs> counter because I'll check a basket and then I'll go out there and glad hand and, you know, kiss babies, hug ladies and shake hands for as long as I can trying to grow business and get people in the door. Or I'm walking around with my AirPods in trying to put some new thing together for somewhere else, you know, and that's just because that's what I'm best at. You know, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I think I'm a decent pharmacist, but I'm a, I'm a better, I'm a better salesman. I'm a better, um, you know, uh, what's the word? I'm better at relationship building than I am at anything else. That's what's helped the stores, my stores when I'm in them to grow is just because of relationships, whether it was with a patient, a provider, some other secondary stakeholder or another entity of some kind, it's those relationships that have kept adding to the growth. So, you know, me getting off the bench, my staff is happier because uh, the workflow is probably faster <laughs> and more efficient, you know. Um, but two, what I, my favorite thing about being off the bench is, is, is you, so how can I say this? It's like, it's like, um, it's like being here, you know, looking at the world and being here and looking at the world. I can suddenly see the big picture and I can see all of the moving parts, you know, whether it's, our logistics and how we manage our delivery programs and understanding how the three stores should work in unison, or if it is the providers that could, um, that would most benefit their patient population most benefit from our programs, whether it's, you know, open enrollment or strategic partnership. I mean, just the list goes on and on and on and on. But if I'm checking, you know, the hundreds of prescriptions a day that I have to check at my stores, I can't clear my mind long enough to do that. And, I get up at 4.45 every day now. When I get home at 8 o'clock at night, I, 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 I'm done. You know, I'm ready to wind down and I'm ready to go to bed and then I'll do it all again the next day. But by not having to concentrate so much on the, the bottles in my hand during the day, it allows me to have that time to develop these programs and do these things. And then the NDRX, I told you I'm long-winded. Then the NDRX, uh, you get to help all these stores. And when I'm helping them, I'm also learning, you know, there, there have been stores that they were the best in the country at this one thing inside their store. And so when I'm there to fix the things that they're not good at, I'm able to kind of see and understand and learn how they're doing those other things. This is, and this is what I was saying earlier about the peer, the peer thing, you know, having a peer group of pharmacists that you talk with. I think this, this podcast is a great example. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to learn from one another because the world's big enough. 
that the world is absolutely big enough. There's plenty of prescriptions that, you know, Walgreens, Walmart, CVS, they're low hanging fruit for you to go get business. You don't have to take it from that independent two counties away. So, you know, I'm in these stores and I'm seeing this thing and I say, you know, that won't work like it is as it is right there. But if I was to do this and carve this and change this and trim that, that could drop into my stores and work beautifully. And uh, so, you know, I think having the peer group and exposure to other stores and seeing how other people are doing things, that has probably been the secret to the success. And I couldn't have done those things if I was count porn licking stick all day long and verifying, you know. The Wikipedia functional medicine or IFM right now, it's still like it's shady, like in the definition, it's like who who. Who authorized that? Because it's all backed by science. It can come backwards into, you can look it up. You just have to look in a different place. It's, it's very similar to when people say, well, vitamin C is not met, does not clinically approve for blank and blank. It's like, you're not looking in PubMed for vitamin C. You got to look somewhere else and here's all the data. And so it's an interesting point of view is both sides are trying to get to the same you know, result, which is diagnose, treat, and, and, and manage disease. It's just the pharma approach. I call it the RX evolution. You know, it started with acute problems. You could fix something with penicillin, right? You got an acute disease, you fixed it. And that approach became, well, what can we do for chronic conditions, which is very different from the standpoint is it's not healing the body, it's literally, like we said, blocking the symptom, which the definition of management to me is very different. And so when you look at that root, root cause, it all lately, especially with COVID and things like that, like everything starts to become complicated when it really could be more simple. And so I tend to not even use the word functional medicine or functional pharmacy. I kind of go functional wellness or lifestyle wellness because we're really talking about the simple things that we could do like with food uh, as medicine and really transforming lives with a simple approach. You don't need 800 SKUs of vitamins on your shelf to – because then we start getting back into the this, then that approach, which then goes right back. I call it it's, – it's green pharma. It's like you give all these supplements, but you're still hitting the masking of the symptom, not really getting down to the root, which generally is lifestyle integrative medicine, which is nutrition, uh, exercise and movement, relationships, stress, and sleep. Like when's the last time we talked to our patients about breathing right when that could lower their blood pressure 10 points? So we we tend we tend in this country to be so marketed towards pharma first that you go to the doctor and if he told you to breathe right and sleep right and gave you a prescription for that you'd you'd walk away unfulfilled because we've we've been told i have an ailment i need something on this little pad where i go to the drugstore and fix it and so trying to reframe things nowadays and that more simpler approach for people, I think is really resonating. And I think it's starting to pick up, like you said, functional is, it's 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 not mainstream. I don't think it ever will be. We just have a population that's just, but it's becoming more acceptable. I think, especially this new 
these new generations that are coming in, they really want prevention. They don't want to get to the point where their parents are where they are. And so that pill for the ill approach is really becoming more mainstream because science is catching up with it. You know, I would say functional medicine is a little more like Western medicine. It's kind of catching up, but the science is proving it, which makes it resonate for us as Americans because we need the science too. And then we have a generation that's really embracing wellness and prevention. And so now we're having this new consciousness come through that's really going to be, I think, a really good marriage between science and need. And it's really getting people's attention. For those who have not adopted adherence and medication synchronization as building blocks for their pharmacy, that would be job one. Um, We are finding, so other things uh, that pharmacies are doing that we think position them well, and we see it really, especially with the COVID vaccines, are are vaccines, uh, immunizing. Our numbers show that about 75% of pharmacies do flu uh, vaccines, which means that there's about 5,000 pharmacies that don't. Good news is 15,000 do, bad news is 5,000 still don't. Uh, When we're talking to government officials about the COVID vaccine, they've been, there have been other, they've had other conversations with the big chains, CVS, Walgreens, and these government officials, we're having to convince them otherwise. So they they're, they want to use a CVS Walgreens because it's easy and CVS Walgreens has said, hey, all of our pharmacies give immunizations. And so we're going back to those same officials saying, look, you've got 15,000 independents that give immunizations. Being able to give an immunization is a competitive advantage, especially in a, in a, in a COVID world. Um, not there yet, but coming are social determinants of health. So social determinants of health, uh, independents are uniquely positioned to be able to uh, capture different attributes, different things in that patient's world that lead to better or worse health, often worse health. People are finding that those can make more of a difference in the patient's health than even things like, you know, eating properly or, um, or, or, or exercise, or that they're just as important as exercise or eating properly. And so the more advanced health plans, the more advanced health thinking is saying, we need to understand these social determinants and we need to capture those and then solve for those. Because until we solve for those, it doesn't matter how many tablets we throw at the patient. It doesn't matter how much money we spend on this patient. If these things in their life, their day-to-day life, aren't solved for, the rest of it's not going to matter. And so pharmacists can be, especially independent pharmacists, can be instrumental in that. What we're still trying to figure out is how do you systemize that, how do you document for it, and how do you get paid for it? But because it's such a powerful, uh, has such a powerful impact on the patient's health and the costs of health, there's a lot of work being done to, to figure that out. So I think that's that's some you know green field for pharmacists, for especially for independent pharmacists, as more as those things get figured out on how to capture 
the social determinants of health. People have asked me that. Oh, I've worked with providers and I try to send them this communications and I tell them this and I don't get the same outcomes. So I took an assignment and I went back to every provider and I say, can you tell me when I approached you or when I sent information, why didn't you give me the response that someone else told me they're receiving? Each one of them said, your approach was non-threatening. You didn't judge me. They showed me messages coming from the pharmacy. It's almost like, you're wrong, I'm right. And so I realized it's in the approach and how we're communicating. There's definitely ego involved in healthcare. But guess what? I have zero ego. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I'm fine, (laughs) you know? And so when when I messaged them, it says, hey, you probably already looked at this, you know? I'm curious, but I'm always genuinely curious because I can't say I'm right or I know everything. So everyone that I went back to, they said, you always just seemed curious and you wanted to learn. And sometimes it made me realize that I was wrong, but it wasn't a, you didn't approach me that way. And so one at a time kept saying that, said, oh, I received messages telling me you put the patient on the wrong dose. Okay. So what's the right dose then? You know? Or, or they said that the pharmacists make them tell their patients, <clears throat> your doctor puts you on the wrong drug. So we are creating this um, fight, you know, or feud. And so they don't like it. So I tell these pharmacists who say this, what is your approach? You know, the provider always feels they own the patient because they have a very sacred bond with this patient, Right. They are the ones who found what the issue was. They diagnosed the patient. I realized there's such a privilege when you go to your doctor and just share your fears and share all this, and they get to give you a life-changing diagnosis, right? There's already a trust bond done there. So then you come to my pharmacy, and I find a discrepancy, and how I approach this is so important. One, I don't want the patient to lose trust with their provider because they're human too. Mistakes do happen in the pharmacy and in the medical practice, right? But the professional relationship was said, hey, so they felt like I was always looking out for them rather than I just wanted to show them I had all this knowledge. So we do like the ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting stuff. And uh, one of my friends was asking me about starting it. And so I guess she had started and was having a lot of muscle aches. And I was like, well, you you do know that if you're going to be on one of these pretty strict diets that you need to have a very high quality vitamin supplement that you're taking. And she was like, nobody's ever told me that. And um, I was like, well, you know, I think it's a good idea. That's probably what's causing some of your muscle issues and you're probably losing a lot of water. And she was like, but I can't take vitamins. They're, you know, they're too large. I can't swallow them. I'm like, well, you know, the pharmacy down the street has some really good high quality gummy vitamins. <laughs> can you can you eat a vitamin gummy? And even just something as simple as that, like she had never even considered that there were other options 
or that if you're going to be on a diet that you needed to be supplementing with, you know, a high quality vitamin supplement. So it was, it was something that was causing her an issue and probably something that was affecting the outcomes of her weight loss. But just that small shift in that little conversation created, you know, some trust there because what, you know, just some simple tips that I gave her that wasn't anything earth shattering or like that I needed a residency to figure out just, you know, those little changes that we can make, those little baby steps we can help our patients do will lead them to that, be the healthiest versions of themselves that they can be. So if you think about it like that, you're not thinking about it from a terms that like selling is bad. Selling only feels bad. It only feels yucky if you're trying to sell something to someone that they don't want it. So that's why we teach the four A's to start with a question of like, what are you looking for? What are you struggling with? What have you tried before? You know, three very simple questions that you can use in your counseling or in any interaction that you have. And then, you know, if, if their, if their answer seems to be something that they might be interested, you can offer to have them make an appointment with you to come in and sit down and have that you know, free consult or even a, you know, a, a very low cost consult to figure out, you know, that, that one little piece that can help them to kind of start their journey to the next step. So, uh, you know, I, I even compare using vitamins and supplements and drug induced nutrient depletion stuff to the, the gateway drug of, you know, really changing your nutrition, changing your exercise, changing your health. You know, one of the things that I really see coming from this pandemic is uh, an increase in mental health issues, as well as low-grade chronic stress causing autoimmune type issues. So, you know, I think all of us uh, can definitely feel that there's been some low-grade chronic stress happening throughout the past 12 sure, months. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. And really, you know, there's not anything you can take for low-grade chronic stress. So um, things like meditation, walking, exercise, in addition to if we do need to put the patient on, um, you know, on something like an antidepressant or even something like a, a GABA or glutamate supplement that they can use to, to help them calm down at night or a CBD tincture for helping with anxiety and sleep at bedtime. There's so many options and pharmacists in my mind, which I am biased, but pharmacists are really the best person to, to ask because we, we embrace those things. We embrace the the herbal um the you know more allopathic uh and holistic methods being able to combine them because i think we understand the body's biochemistry and physiology at a cellular level that we can say yes that's a that could be a good option for you or no that might be something you want to stay away from yeah, so Flip the Pharmacy is a really, really exciting initiative to transform practices. And so a lot of people, they're wanting to move forward 
and practice at the top of their license and have new workflows and make the ones they have more efficient. But it's where do I start with that? And so what Flip the Pharmacy does is take take these different services and takes a health condition, for instance, like hypertension, and makes um, makes this model of following a patient over time something that's very practical and not just something that we're focused at a moment in time, which is one of the slogans uh, with Flip the Pharmacy, not just focusing on a moment in time, but longitudinal care for the patient. And so what we do through these various change packages, which is uh, just step-by-step guides on how to engage your staff, how to implement something into workflow, share best practices of what other peers are doing to make this work so that it's not like a unicorn. Everybody is getting on board with this and doing it. And so we start out again with the appointment-based model as being the fundamental aspect to it and then following up with the patients, focusing on non-pharmacist support staff roles, because that's going to, as we get into more services, it's going to be so important for, again, everybody to be doing everything that they are legally able to do. And so that's a huge portion is something that we're going to be focusing on even more within Flip the Pharmacy in the next year or two. Um, and then you've got coordination of care of making sure we're finding out these problems with the patients. But how do we communicate this to the prescribers to make sure that there's a resolution to a medication related problems that we, a problem that we may find? And then ultimately, how do we document this within our workflow? So, Will, you said it really nicely of just getting your pharmacy prepared for this next wave of being recognized differently within the marketplace. And in order to do that, we've got to have our workflows ready to go. We've got to have our staff ready to go, or else we're going to have all kinds of pressures on us to succeed whenever we could be slowly getting there at this point and refining all of our different processes. And when the opportunity comes along, then we can move forward with it and succeed out the gate rather than uh, uh, not having as quick of a response in the beginning and then taking your time to get everything in, into play to, to provide opportunities and share the data back with the payers. So Flip the Pharmacy is meant to focus on all of those different aspects and really a, a great learning collaborative that's very practical in nature. And that's been the biggest focus on it is we don't want something to, produced out there that you can't do. Like that's just too pie in the sky. We wanted something that you can actually implement and then you can be sustained throughout time. Most independent pharmacies use an intermediary to do their third-party contracting called the Pharmacy Services Administrative Organization or PSAL. And that is beneficial because um, reading through the contracts is complicated. Going and Figuring out which ones to take and which ones not to take is complicated. And a lot of folks just don't want to have to figure it out. So they sign up with the PSAO. We were with the PSAO called LeaderNet for probably 30 years. Um, from when they probably when they started and they started pitching it, the Cardinal show up until 2020, we were part of LeaderNet. Um, and it served us well. Um, but um, as I was reading and um, interacting with other pharmacy owners, I discovered that um, that a small fraction of people don't use the PSAO at all, and they do all the contracting on their own. And there are some benefits to doing that, because if you do the contracting instead of delegating it to a fourth party, I guess at this point, because it's patient, 
pharmacy, PBM, PSAO, we're, we're delegating this to a fourth party, um, then you can choose to reject contracts that are poor. Um, and like, frankly, as I, as I read through some of these contracts, it is absolutely insane that anyone would take them. And yet almost all of the PSAOs accept some of these contracts. Like just to say, as a, I guess a point of reference, um, most pharmacies will hit break even to losing a little bit of money when a contract reads that they'll get paid on brand name drugs, AWP minus uh, 18%. Okay. And so that, that's, that's about where most pharmacies will break even or even be losing a little bit of money. If they're, if it's more than that, they'll make money. If it's less than that, they'll, they'll be breaking even or losing money. And, um, some of these contracts are the AWP minus a 27% discount. Man. And so the pharmacies like guaranteed under that contract to lose 10% of their revenue on a branded drug. So if we're talking Humira, which has like a $6,000 AWP, you're talking losing $600 every single time you fill that prescription under that contract. And that like the, the correct response to a contract like that is to just say, Nope, rejected. Um, and yet, because pharmacies are in a market where so much of their business is dependent on a third party, um, that third party can make the rest of their business that goes through that third party dependent on them accepting those contract terms. Sure. And so the pharmacy is forced to accept, either accept the 10% loss on every branded drug they take through that plan or lose a third of their business. If we take a look at the biggest complaints, I believe, in a busy independent pharmacy, uh, most of the time you hear, uh, again, in a busy independent pharmacy, uh, I, I want my medication faster because sometimes it might take us a minute to, to get something ready. Uh, we always want to say, well, it's not like you're ordering French fries, like it's just, but, uh, that that's typically a complaint. And then the other one that we hear is sometimes it's so hard to get through to you guys on the phone. And, and I have to admit that at times that's been the case. And so those are things that we're constantly working on. So, uh, we said, how can, what, what are the ways that we can best, uh, you know, alleviate those issues and technology with the way it's come and the way it's developed. Uh, that was, that was huge for us. So we said, okay, we've got to, and even pre pioneer, uh, we've got to, uh, we've got to have an app that folks can, uh, or a, a web portal or something that folks can do their refill requests on, uh, because they don't want to have to call and wait. They don't want to have to, come by the pharmacy, drop their stuff off and leave, uh, and then come back and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and sometimes it is hard to get through to us on the phone. Uh, so we've got to have some type of electronic means uh, by which to do that. Uh, we have never had the touch tone IVR uh, where you can put in prescription numbers. It was just something that uh, we, we felt like when people called, they want to talk to somebody. 
And so about the time I was considering that, that's when this whole web portal app world was starting to explode. So I was like, you know, instead of doing the touchstone thing, let's do the app thing. Uh, because that same type person probably would go either way on those. And then uh, while that helped some, uh, it, it also, uh, you know, folks can can get notifications like when their medication's ready. So they know not to come until they get this notification that their medication's ready. Uh, so again, that alleviates uh, that problem, you know, calling, are my meds ready yet? Well, <laughs> you know, the, the smart aleck side of you wants to go, did you get a notification yet? <laughs> <laughs> don't call us. We'll call you. <laughs> right. Um, but of course, we don't do that. And, and a lot of our folks are kind of trained now uh, to, to wait till they get that notification. And then uh, then you start seeing that the majority of the world under age 60, they want to text. They, they don't want to talk on the phone. Like personally, if I don't have my AirPods to be able to, to talk on the phone, I do not want to have a phone conversation. I'm 44, okay, so I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, that young millennial, but I, I mean, I, I'm not a, a boomer either, right? So, uh, but still, I, I'm, I don't want to talk on the phone, and I don't think most people do anymore. So we've got to have, we've got, again, that goes back to the thing we talked about way early in the conversation is, uh, did, did we get into pharmacy because we wanted to hand out pills? Did we get into pharmacy because we wanted to talk on the phone? I mean, you know, we got into pharmacy to serve people where they are. And where people are right now is text messaging, apps, technology, that kind of thing. Um, now, some of our older patients, that may not be them, and that's okay. Uh, interestingly enough, though, we have a lot of 70-year-olds that text us. I'm, sure. I, it, it's, it, it really, it'll, it'll blow your mind. So, um, uh, and and we're answering text messages all day, every day. People love being able to text uh, because, uh, and we're pretty good at responding. Uh, most of the time, our staff is is pretty on top of those, so that that's been good. But yeah, it, it was just to solve that problem of getting their prescriptions out faster. In their mind, the prescription didn't get it didn't go any faster. Will it? It's just that they didn't come till it was ready. Right. Sure. So sure. we we fixed the problem in their mind because now oh we're not slow anymore. We're the same speed we always were. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you. <laughs>